You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of the Helium Boys podcast, a serious, non-serious USC podcast. I am your host, Chris Trevino. And I know you're thinking, if you listen to the show, wait a minute, Chris, Shotgun is supposed to be hosting. He has hosting duties you alternate every week. But I'm kind of hijacking it from Shotgun because Shotgun will be the first to admit that this podcast needs a little bit more structure than normal (laughs) podcasts because there's been so much that has gone on over the last several days. It just keeps building and building and building. There's so much going on. He called upon me. He's like, Chris, you need to handle this. You're going to keep us better on track than I am. So I need you to step up. I need you to step up and and do this for me. So Shotgun, let me introduce you. You're you're handing over the hosting duties for this week, even though it's your turn. Yeah, it it makes more sense for you to do this because you'll keep us on track better. There's a lot of different tangents that can happen here and will probably still happen somewhat. But you're better to rein it in, so we're going to let you host for this one. Because there has been, as you said, so many different things that have happened. People coming, people going, people leaving, people staying, people going all over the place. So it's been a whirlwind of news on the USC beat, which is often the case, especially when you try to take a trip, which is what I'm doing currently. I am in Georgia, went to cover the men's basketball team at Auburn, and then uh, we'll be in Montgomery uh, tomorrow, actually, from the day we're recording this. But I'm in Georgia currently, so I've been running around seeing some family as well. So naturally, whenever you try to do something that you're not going to have your computer in front of you, that's when everything's been, you know, going buck wild. And that's been the case. Don't believe a word Shotgun said. He's not in Georgia for any of that. He's in Georgia to recruit Michael Williams. That is all he's there to do. He is not doing the It's a cover story. Don't don't let him trick you. I'm just kidding. Or am I? No, I am kidding. Only 45 minutes away from Athens. Just saying. Only 45 minutes away from Athens. I have stopped by Christian Miller's high school previously. He has. He has. So Shotgun knows his way around the Georgia back roads is what we're saying. But we're not really going to talk about Michael Williams and Christian Miller unless they jump in the portal. But that's neither here nor there. So much has happened. There's been four high school commitments. 
two transfer commitments for USC, and then a whole slew of transfer portal entries for USC, including three major ones back to back to back that we're all going to talk about. There's also been a coach that resigned and a new coach that was hired in the span of like two minutes of each other that they <laughs> happened. So, so much, but shotgun right now, it's the two minute drill. So you can talk about whatever you want in this two minutes. There's so much. I don't, I don't believe in you shotgun. I don't believe you can talk about anything that's happened this week in two minutes or try to fit everything. So my suggestion is just pick something and then talk about it. I don't even care what it is. Just stay focused for two minutes. I'm going to put you on the clock because your clock starts right now. You want me to stay focused for this two minutes? That's the difficult portion of it because there is so many different things. But I think let's go you know, wide overarching. And you are seeing the vastly different landscape of college football. You know, you see, you know, we're used to seeing flips and stuff late. But we're seeing transfer flips these days. We're seeing... You know, guys going into the portal, and it's a lot. Some of it is about NIL money. Some of it is about playing time. A lot of it is about playing time. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to be developed. But we're not seeing guys stick around over and over and over uh, like you may have in the past. And especially when you throw in the NCAA being involved in court cases where they say, oh, you had some rules? Yeah, those rules don't matter. And so because of that, now two-time transfers can, can jump in the portal. Whereas coaches would tell you previously, hey, if we get a guy out of the transfer portal, the good thing is we know we're going to be able to keep him until at least until he graduates. So if you get a guy that's coming off a of freshman year, you pick him up in the portal, similar to maybe like a bear, you know you're going to keep him around until he graduates from school because he can't transfer without sitting out of here. Now that's out of the, out of the way as well. It is complete it's not anarchy, but it is a bit of a chaotic situation and it's the new normal, you know, and this time of year with so many things going on, I haven't even got a chance to watch any of the bowl games because I've been traveling and because we've been writing so much and editing so much. So the bowl games are going on. Coaches are doing that. You're trying to close out your high school class. You're trying to talk to all these transfer kids. You're trying to check the film on all these transfer guys and see, is this guy any good? And we haven't got a chance to check him out. Um, if you haven't done your advanced homework, you're way behind. And at the same time, oh, yeah, coach, you're getting fired. Coach, you're getting hired over here. You're going over here. You're trying to prepare for a bowl game with a staff that's not even going to be at USC next year type of thing. So some of those guys, at least. That's my two minutes. I got lots more to say, but that's it. I got 204. <laughs> All things considered, I'm going to give it to you. I'm very impressed that you let's... were able to keep it within that 10 that 210 range and you know maybe we'll just carry over the five seconds you gave me last yeah. week and carry it over now so you were saving that you knew what was coming shotgun you 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 tricked us all not not like i actually closed on a uh, coherent thought there at the end but i stopped i stopped at two minutes i didn't really close out on two minutes but yeah that's how it's been right now uh chris i don't know if you want to respond to that if you if you will if you do you're gonna have to use your two minutes though because your two minutes starts now Okay, Shotgun, I just want to take off one point you had is that you haven't been able to watch any of the bowl games. I just want to say there's only one bowl game that matters, Shotgun, is the goddamn Pop-Tarts Bowl. We know this. <laughs> it's December 28th. That's the only bowl that matters. National Championship, I don't give a damn. Uh, college football playoff, I don't give a damn. It's the Pop-Tarts Bowl or nothing. Yeah, maybe you want to watch the Holiday Bowl, Shotgun, maybe because you work for USCFootball.com, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> the Pop-Tarts Bowl is what you have because I want to see them eat that goddamn live Pop-Tarts mascot. Sorry. Easy, Sorry. Chris. 
look, this is my two minutes. I can talk about whatever I want. And the Pop-Tarts bowl is something that they wanted to get off my chest. The second part of this is, yes, responding to you. The December period has just been so crazy. They have to change it. They have to move some stuff around. It's just so crazy for these coaches. I, I can't imagine they like this. They can't, they can't like having to fend off teams from poaching their players out of the portal or keeping their players happy for their roster. And they can't be happy with having to get all their ducks in a row for signing day, making sure, checking the temperature of all their commits. Hey, what's going on? Guys are coming for our commits, getting them in order for Wednesday national signing day. Hey, are you signing? Hey, what's going on? Here's your NIL. All that on top of preparing for a bowl game if you're playing the postseason. There's so much going on, and then you're still recruiting kids you're trying to get. USC has picked up four commitments this month, so they're still out recruiting new targets. And in addition to keeping the, the your commitments warm in place, there's just so much going on and they have to do something. They have to move some things around because it's so hectic for these coaches. I mean, I'm not, you know, they make millions of dollars. I'm, I can't be, you know, defending them so much, but, you know, it's just so crazy for us and covering it all. I can't imagine what it's like for them, but there's so much more we're going to talk about, excuse me, with this podcast, but that's a nice little primer to everything that's been going on this month. Yeah, there has been a ton. You close, you close out right. I think two, two or two oh one. We'll give it to you there. But yeah, so Come much on. And that's just football. There's also basketball season going on. USC's women's basketball team is number six in the country. The men's basketball team really struggling. The women are are up by over thirty points right now. As we're recording, they're about to get another win to stay unbeaten. They have been fantastic. Uh, if you did not check out our interview with Lindsey Gottlieb on last week's episode of the USC Triple Double, make sure you do that. Spectacular. She's always great to have on. She was our first uh, multi-time guest. She was honored to be uh, that. But uh, make sure you guys check that one out, too, if you have any interest in USC basketball. Can Lindsey Gottlieb coach men's basketball as well? Can she do both? Oh, you've been reading the message boards, I see. Um, it, I <laughs> mean, she she is coached in the NBA, so I'm sure if she desires no. to, she definitely can. Um, can she do it at the same time here, right now? I don't think they're going to allow her. I don't think she's going to focus on that, but I uh, wouldn't put it past her. That's something you would see 50, 60 years ago, you know, a coach, you know, coaching both men's and women's. Uh, but usually when that happens, the sports are in different seasons, like water polo. You still see that, you know, a coach will coach both or indoor or track. Sometimes you'll see that, but oftentimes, uh, you know, when you have an indoor track and outdoor track, those are two different seasons. So you can still coach them, you know, women's water polo, men's water polo don't necessarily mesh as far as the schedules, um, you know, being on top of each other. So a little bit easier to do than in basketball where they're going right at the same time. That's on me, folks, listening. I asked him a joke question, and he ended up giving me a real answer that took away from actual time <laughs> in this podcast. So that's on me. That's on me. I apologize. I apologize. You see why he's not hosting the show. We're going to move on onto our next topic. We're not doing stock up, stock down. We're just t- tackling a bunch of topics right now. The first topic is one we're going to hit on briefly because we are going to talk about it more. And by we, I mean me and Gerard on the composite two-star live show for signing day on Wednesday. We're going to talk about all this stuff and more, and it's going to be multiple hours. We don't have multiple hours for this show, but we're going to hit on very quickly the high school recruiting that USC's kind of picked up here at the end of this uh, this class period for the early signing, going into December, excuse me. 
They picked up four commitments over since last Thursday. They picked up four commitments. There is a GNA Abbasiri, the three-star Minnesota defensive lineman, six foot five, two hundred ninety pounds. A Minnesota commitment that is flipped to USC. There's the three-star Georgia edge rusher Lorenzo Cowan, six foot three, two hundred and uh, I believe ten pounds. Is kind of light, but they're going to build him up. You know, he is a flip from Kentucky. Took his official visit, and then a couple days later, uh, committed to committed to USC one day after Gia Day. So. Two back-to-back defensive commitments for Danton Lynn and that new staff. And then you had Kololo Taaga, the three-star NorCal offensive tackle, who made his commitment over UCLA, Cal, Utah, and I believe their Arizona was other school. He's six foot seven, 265 pounds, a basketball player turned football player, only started playing football this year. This is a developmental pickup. This is someone they're going to put weight on. Start training him up. You know, he's still raw, still new, but my God, that frame is really impressive. And, you know, that's just kind of a gamble piece you take in, you take in a class, you know, you see the measurables, you like it. Josh Henson, you trust his evaluation, but see him up close. You know, he is a prospect. Just got to hope that he develops the way you want him to in the weight room and then growing as a football player because he's only been playing for six months. And then the one they just picked up today, Carlin Jones, the Bay City, Texas defensive lineman, six foot three, 285 pounds. This is a significant one. He is a four-star in the composite, three-star in our rankings, but beat out the likes of Ohio State, which had the crystal balls initially on him, and Alabama. They were recruiting him as well. He is a flip, a late flip, excuse me, from Nebraska. He was committed to the Cornhuskers, backed off his commitment once he got the Ohio State offer and an unofficial visit and then got those crystal balls going into his official visit, but he didn't commit to Ohio State, which people were surprised by. USC got him on campus for official visit this past weekend, and they did enough to impress him and get him out of Texas to the West Coast. So that's a big win for Denton Lynn. And definitely the class needed some defensive linemen because they had zero uh, going into Wednesday. They had zero last Wednesday, but now I have two over the last seven days. So a good pickup for the Trojans there. Again, I wouldn't say these guys are day one impact defensive linemen, but they are guys that you're bringing in that you can develop. This is a, a nice little turn for the, for the class in terms of defensive additions. Yeah. I haven't got to look at a lot of, of film on Carlin Jones because um, he's kind of came on the radar late and wasn't really expecting necessarily that USC will be able to, to close that one out so quickly, but you know, good job by them to be able to do that. He's the standout of this group. You know, the other ones are are developmental pieces. Now, there's things to like about each of them. Lorenzo Cowan, the length that he has, if you can put on the 20, 30 pounds that you may need to put on for him to be an edge guide, for him to be a Uchina Nwosu type of player. Uh, Abasiri, you know, definitely has the size, hasn't been playing for too long. Taga, same thing, has not been playing for very long. Basketball, so he should have some good feet, moves pretty well. But honestly, this reminds me a little bit of the 2019 class where you had some of those high-end guys. You had Kyle Ford, Drake Jackson, Drake London, you know, a, a couple, you know, one five-star, a couple four-star, high-end four-star guys. And then at the end, they were trying to fill that class so hard where you're taking Kaulana Makala, you're taking Gino Quinones, Adonis Ote, Dejan Benton. Those were all guys in the last two weeks that they, like, jumped on and tried to go get. And this feels similar to that. Now, do I trust this staff's evaluation a little bit more than the previous staff that did that in 2019? Probably so. But it feels like, hey, we got to go get bodies. 
Now, maybe not the offensive line one as much with Taga. Maybe they just really like you know what they see, and because they've taken so many bodies, you're kind of looking at it like, all right, when is this guy potentially going to be available? He's not a guy that's going to be available or, or to be an impact player, to be a guy that contributes. Not next year, definitely. Probably not the year after that. Maybe he's a third-year guy. Maybe he's even a fourth-year guy. And you're looking at it, hey, we've taken five guys in this class. Maybe two of them are guys we hope that will be available next year to be contributors, two of them the year after. And you're kind of spacing out your class in that regard um, instead of just, you know, we, we take two this year, two next year, two, you know, each year, whatever it may be, the number, whatever your numbers may be. Uh, so maybe that's part of the reason why they take, they've taken him is that he's a guy that's not going to contribute for a few years down the line. But that's so hard to do nowadays with the way that the transfer portal is. Now, you have to tell these kids and sell them that, hey, we see you as a person that can develop, and we don't. We know it's not going to be next year. And, but if you come, you know, the faster you come along, the sooner we're going to put you in there. But it's going to be a multi-year process. If you tell them that, that up front, maybe those are guys you stick around and eventually become contributors for you rather than some of the five-star guys that we've seen that will be on our next list, um, you know, uh, of guys that have decided to leave because either one, they weren't getting as much playing time or did feel like they were being developed or whatever it may be. But that is definitely what this looks like to me is guys that they went out and, you know, really attacked late in the process and shown a lot of love to that are a little bit lower ranked, but they see something in and think they can develop them to be guys down the line rather than impact guys. Um, And that reminds me a lot of that 2019 class. And, Again, I trust this coach's evaluations a little bit better than the 2019 class, which felt like it was desperate. But there's also a little desperation here, I think, to get bodies in. I mean, I don't have the exact number, but the bowl game, the number of bodies is shrinking by the day, it feels like. Um, and in that class, there were guys that made impacts and were, you know, Drake London's and the Drake Jackson's of the world and the Raylan Goforce, Nick Figueroa's, Max Williams, guys that played a lot. But there were also guys, like we mentioned, Dorian Hewitt, Trey Davis, Adonis Ote, Jaden Williams, guys that left the program after a couple of years. So they were at the bottom of that, you know, as far as the rankings and stuff go. So we'll see what ends up of these guys that are more of the developmental guys going forward. I would agree with that assessment. It felt like that 2019 class was more panic and desperation, as you said. And I think there's a little bit of desperation here with, with some of these guys. But again, like a guy like Taga, you know, Josh Henson has had four of his commitments locked up for several months. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a guy you can go, okay, I can do a little bit more evaluating. I like this guy's that popped up. Let, let's go make a run at him. I, we would like some more depth, the guy we can work with. So in that regard, I'm not seeing that one as more as a desperation, but more of the defensive linemen, you know, they didn't have, you know, David Palipale obviously flipped from USC to Michigan, but we knew that he was going to be, yeah, he's giving me air quotes right now, but yeah, we knew that there were going to be a parting of ways. It felt like he was just kind of hanging on to the class until he jumped officially to that Michigan class. But USC defensive line recruiting was in a very bad spot as of two weeks ago. You know, it's not great now, but, you know, Carlin Jones, he's the sixth highest rated commit in this class right now as a four-star composite. So that's a nice little bump, but, you know, Abbasiri is a developmental piece, as you said, six foot five, 290 pounds, hasn't been playing football that long. These are kind of guys you're just kind of looking for late in the process. And I find it interesting because it seems like nowadays with the with the early signing period, it used to be like you were getting the the cream of the crop, your top guys in your class 
on signing day. Now it feels like more you're just kind of filling in the back end of the early signing period, finding guys to add late in the process because everyone's been committed for a long, long time since the summer for the most part. Yeah, there are some big names that are still floating out there, some coaching changes or whatever, some guys who are available to be poached from other classes. But for the most part, big names have been committed and signed. Obviously, like a Dylan Raiola just flipped to Nebraska from Georgia. That's a big one, but that's one that typically would happen on a national signing day or a guy who wouldn't commit until a national signing, a guy of that caliber, excuse me, because quarterbacks do tend to commit early to build around the class. But you know what I'm saying? It just feels like there that that getting that extra five-star bump or high four-star bump, that doesn't happen now a lot with the early signing period because most guys are committed. Now it's just kind of filling in the back end and the cracks of your of your class late. And, and you know, one of the reasons why I think that is is because of the jam-packed December schedule. Whereas mm-hmm. previously, coaches would even tell guys, high-end guys, like, yeah, you've gotten that commitment. You've gotten that silent commit that we always hear about. We're going to announce on signing day. We want you to do that because it's going to be a bump in press. You know, it's going to be a bump in publicity. To that oh, juice, baby. Oh, what did USC do on? Oh, they picked up five star this and you know high. They really added their class, and that's you know the national signing day uh, narrative is all about those those announcements and those flips at the very end. Uh, whereas, and some guys just want to do that because they know that, you know, they want to be a part of the hoopla of the day. And because it's not, no longer is the February day, you know, a national holiday, like it used to be. And the early signing period isn't the same in that regard either. So because of that, you don't have as many guys waiting to do it, to be on national TV and all those things. Uh, you know, there's not as many eyeballs. So the television companies, the broadcast companies aren't doing as much to try to push players to you know announce during the ceremony or the the signing day presentations and you know shows that they have so i think that all plays into it now the coach is like let's get these guys locked up let's be done so we can focus on transfer portal because if we can get you know we get all our guys signed or uh, you know basically locked up before the end of the regular season for the college teams all right, we don't have to focus on that. Like, USC is not worried about Jason Zanamella as a number one player. Like, he's locked up. Now, they still got to do the in-home visits and things, but it just takes off uh, the pressure of, hey, we need to call this guy every day, every day, every day. You know, like, it needs to be constant. Everyone on the staff that's important to him needs to be calling him every single day. Let's focus on, all right, we need to be talking to, you know, the transfer portal guys. We need to be negotiating with the, you know, the transfer portal guys and stuff. So I, I think there's a difference there, and I think that that's definitely played into it. The you know how the schedule has changed uh, in the last five years and whatnot. And again, we'll see if anything changes. Maybe if the coaches start piping up more and saying, "Hey, we need this this calendar to change. It's it's too crazy of a time." We'll see. I just want to buy presents for my kids, and I can't do that without having to be on the phone in in a in a Walmart or a, a Best Buy. No one goes to Best Buy anymore because I'm talking to a recruit. But you get the point. You get the idea. I went to Best Buy yesterday, Chris. Nobody goes to Best Buy. The only people that go to Best Buy is because you want to see it in person before you buy it on Amazon. No, it's that, because it's just you've showroom. forgotten something. You've, you've forgotten, forgotten something, something, as always. I forget a charger or a card reader or something. And therefore, I have to go Someone, buy an extra. Stockham wanted to browse the uh, Pop Rock uh, CDs and see what they had on sale <laughs> uh, coming up for stocking stuffers. Uh, again, we will talk more in depth about each of these guys 
on the Wednesday live show with me and Gerard. We'll go more in detail about these guys and what they bring and how they fit into USC's uh, plans for the future. Again, this was just a broad strokes look at USC having a little bit of a surge here late in the uh, with four high school commitments over the last week. But now we're going to move on to the transfer portal recruiting. USC has picked up some steam there as well. They got their fourth, excuse me, their third and fourth commit from the Arnold brothers, Akili Arnold, the safety from Oregon State, and then also from Oregon State, Easton Mascarenas Arnold. Uh, the linebacker commit, uh, Akili is a three-star prospect in the transfer portal rankings. Easton just got his ranking for 24-7 sports in their transfer rankings. He is the number 61 overall prospect and the number three linebacker and is a four-star prospect in the transfer market. So I know a lot of UC fans are happy that he finally got his uh, four-star rating as a transfer prospect. But they have joined Nate Clifton and then Hank Pepper out of Michigan State, the long snapper, Nate Clifton from Vanderbilt. So a little defensive juice for USC, and there's still some some more stuff bubbling on the surface for USC in this transfer class. Obviously, Will Howard, the Kansas State quarterback, took his visit to USC this past weekend, and he's got some crystal balls as well. USC also hosted Kamari Ramsey out of UCLA, the, uh, the former USC target out of Sierra Canyon. USC is in good position for him as well. So they're, for, they're the four, they're the third and fourth commitments, but I don't think they'll. I think the class is going to be growing soon. Shocking is all I'm saying, but USC getting some good guys off the uh, that Oregon State defense last year that was pretty good nationally and in the Pac-12. So that can't hurt uh, Shotgun. And then my favorite fact about Easton is that his mother <laughs> named him after her favorite bat brand. She was an All-American softball player at Arizona. So Shotgun. What is your favorite bat brand as a as a former baseball guy and as a baseball guy? Um, you know, Easton makes some good ones, but you know, Dean Marini makes some good ones. I was always a Louisville Slugger guy, though. Um, and I believe the Louisville Sluggers probably still have the best kind of regard among the coaching. A quick aside here. I've had coaches tell me that they, because you get paid basically by the companies to use their equipment. They also supply you with a bunch of equipment. That's how these sponsorship works teams get. Um, So they don't have to go out and buy their own stuff. I had one coach tell me that they scrapped one company because they did testing on, on the bats. You know, they had everybody, all the kids, you know, basically the coach told me, this is their hitters are going, coach, these, these, these bats are dead. They just don't hit well. Like the ball does not jump off them. So they had all of them take BP. They had, you know, the, the data metrics and all that type stuff. And they, you know, every, for a full day or two days or whatever, everyone take BP with one brand of bats. Everybody take BP with uh, uh, the next couple of days with the other brand of bats. Then they compared the metrics, and one of the bats was literally they were getting 15 more feet out of the one of the bats. So they scrapped their entire uh, sponsorship they had, went and bought their own bats to get that extra 15 feet. So maybe it's not all about the money in college athletics is what I'm trying to say, Chris. Not always. Okay. Again, again, I'm very sorry to listeners. I asked him another joke question, <laughs> and then he went off on another serious tangent. I was uh, giving you a story, one, Chris. I know you're. I know you're giving me a story, but it was I've like an actual shock. It was. It was. A, it was. It was an actual like shotgun answer to something that could have just been like a two bit line, and he went off for for ten minutes about bats, Louisville so. Slugger. Okay, Louisville Slugger. He's going to name uh, his next roommate's kid. Louisville Slugger, that's confirmed here. I'm not naming these kids. I would name them all Shotgun. 
Okay, shotgun with that. A great you unisex name, Chris. Shotgun is a great unisex name. Just letting you know, I'm, in case you ever have a child with your very real girlfriend. I'll, you know, I'll I'll sit my 15-year-old daughter down when she's complaining that kids are making fun of her for naming her shotgun. Well, my friend Shotgun said it's a unisex name, so whoa, whoa, whoa. cheer up, honey. Hey, this is going to work out for you as a father because – if the father is crazy enough to name his daughter Shotgun, I don't think we're going to mess with her. See? I'm helping you out here, Chris. No, I don't look like the intimidating type uh, to anybody. Yeah, but, but they won't maybe... know you. You don't have to see everybody in person all the time, Chris. How many people from That's your fair. high school did you see in person? Their parents. All right. I, I need to refocus this <laughs> from high school talk to two brothers. Two recruiting. brothers. The Arnold brothers. Hey, Arnold. You can't call them stepbrothers. They don't want to be called stepbrothers. They're brothers. They're they're a blended family. Um, but USC, I think this is a really good pickup. USC needed safety depth. They needed some help uh, with some guys leaving. And then Easton, you know, joining a talented but very underperforming linebacker room and a new piece for incoming linebackers coach uh, Matt Entz to work with with that group. So I think they're two really good pickups and two guys who were who are key stalwart guys and starters on that Oregon State defense last year. Yeah, and I don't know if they're stepbrothers or half brothers. I mean, they're brothers. They're stepbrothers. Okay, so they don't carry the DNA together uh, to say, well, it just runs in the genetics of the family. Uh, but both of them are really good players. I really liked Achille Arnold coming out of Mission Viejo. I thought he landed at the right level for him at the time. You know, at Oregon State, I thought it was somewhere he could go and develop and, you know, probably get some early playing time. And that's what actually happened for him. He is a versatile piece. He's played, you know, he's played some cornerback for for Oregon State. He's played some nickel. He's played some safety. So he's a guy that could potentially be moved around based on their needs at the, whether it be the safety position, the nickel position, you know, similar to, you know, is Jalen Smith going to stay at nickel? If he does, okay, it looks like the safety could be wide open. Because it, it seems like Kalen Bullock is going to enter in the NFL draft, especially with the news today that he was not at practice for the Holiday Bowl, or at least you guys did not see him. So if that's the case, are you potentially replacing both of your safeties? You know, you didn't get a ton of production from the other spot. It seems like we, we've been told Max Williams does not plan to return for his final year of eligibility. Bryson Shaw is still there. Does he elevate into a starter role? Can you know a new defense um, help him out and, and take him to another level. Or there's Achille Arnold back there. Kamari Ramsey's another option. Hey, if Bryson Shaw comes out and just lights it up during spring ball and whatnot, and he says, you know, he's an experienced guy. He's played at Ohio State, played at USC, and he just really fits well into the defense, then Achille Arnold, so, suddenly you can move him around, and maybe he can be nickelback. Maybe, you know, if you have some injuries, maybe you need to move him around. He could be that piece for you. So I like having those versatile defenders like that. And always is helpful for a, a DC, you know, especially when the injury bug does hit, as it seems to every single year, uh, in one position or another. So he's a guy that you can move around like that, and maybe even have to put him out of cornerback because uh, you're slowly losing all the cornerbacks off the roster right now. So maybe they end up throwing him there if they need to. Uh, Easton, downhill linebacker, uh, makes a ton of tackles. Now he did miss 20 tackles this season. And this makes me think of Mason Cobb. Mason Cobb had a ton of tackles at Oklahoma State, also had a ton of missed tackles there. That means he's around the ball. That's the positive. Now can you get guys down on the, on the ground? And that was a red flag to me last year because of how bad they had tackled the season before. 
I won't say it's as big of a red flag with uh, East and Mascarenas just because new coaching staff, and we'll see if they can coach up tackling or not. We knew the previous staff that it wasn't going to be, there was going to be an issue for USC because it'd been an issue all season previously. So now with the new staff, maybe they can coach them up a little bit better. Maybe you see better tackling from Mason Cobb. Maybe you see better tackling from Easton. And then, you know, if you got Ray John Davis still in the mix, you got Eric Gentry in the mix, Tackett Curtis, maybe not so much. Uh, but, you know, you still have lots of options there, and that heats up that battle. And, you know, maybe they can finally solidify who should be in the lineup versus uh, maybe this guy this week, maybe this guy next week, maybe this guy this week. Let's trade it up again. So it was something they did all season, never found any continuity there, which isn't the biggest thing. I like com- competing, and I like, you know, hey, whoever wins the spot this week. But when you're playing so bad, like maybe sticking with someone helps out to, you know, get guys comfortable, but also getting the calls and getting the calls in. And how many times was USC lined up wrong? And that usually starts with your middle linebacker. He's usually the guy on the defense that's calling out the calls. Sometimes it's the safety, sometimes it's a combination, but your inside linebackers are usually the ones lining everyone up. And you would see at times where, you know, maybe Mason Cobb is moving some of the defense alignment and things like that. That's what you want those guys to be able to do. They can be the, you know, the, secondary check of, okay, is everyone lined up correctly before the snap? You know, if they get a glance and can move guys around a little bit before the snap, if someone is out of place a little bit, you know, have those giant gaping holes like they seem to have so often. I'm just curious, do you have Oregon State's missed tackles number as a defense for a whole, like how they were as a tackling defense in general? They were not good. They were not. So that that's one of the things uh, that really stuck out uh, that really stood out, uh, excuse me, um, when looking at their stats this year is that they were not very good at tackling. They had a, a ton, um, you know, not as bad as USC, but nowhere close to like a UCLA's defense. UCLA didn't miss a ton of tackles. Yeah, Oregon State finished the season, so 12 games, regular season, 170 missed tackles. So that's actually me. That is worse than USC. So that that including, I guess they they weren't as bad as USC going into the final game. I guess the final game uh, pushed it over the top. But I think USC was at 160, um, if I remember correctly, or maybe that was going to the final. Let me look it up real quick, just so I. USC is only at 135, so way less actually. So yeah, Oregon State. That was one of the things when Trent Bray's name was being thrown out for defense coordinator. I said. Just to caution you guys on the P, Oregon State has not been a very good tackling team this year. Now, that's part of the reason why they saw a drop in their production as far as their numbers on the season. They are good defense, but they weren't a great, whereas last year they were really good defense. They were in the top 25 nationally in several categories, and a big part of it was the missed tackles they had this season. Overall, I think the brothers are two very good, solid pickups. This is what you want out of the transfer portal. You're you're getting starters from other programs and guys that can be guys that can be starters for your defense or your offense for on day one. And Akili, I think, is really important just because of that safety depth. They're going to be very young next season, assuming whatever happens with Bryson Shaw. They still need more veteran help. And Akili has multiple years, five years 
at, at the college level and in multiple years as a starter, you know, if you're losing Max Williams, I'm going to go ahead and say they're losing Kalen Bullock based on that. I haven't seen him come out for practice on the two times I've, I've been in a practice for holiday, holiday bowl prep. So you're losing those two guys. You will get Jalen Smith back, but you have some young guys to build around Zion branch, obviously coming up that knee injury and then Traquan Fagans, who has emerged uh, late in the year. And then Christian Pierce is a building block. You're going to want to see more of next season, but you're going to want more veteran help. And Akili Arnold brings that. And they're still very much in play for Kamari Ramsey, who would also be a guy who could probably just slot in and start for you. Obviously knows Lynn's defense from playing in it last year. So he is a, a key guy for there. So if you have Arnold and Ramsey, I think you're in a very good spot with those two guys that could be your day one starters. I think you hope you can get Bryson Shaw back just for that extra little depth. And who knows, you know, he could end up bouncing back from a not so great year with, with better coaching under Lynn, a safety coach by trade and a guy who's coaching the NFL. So hopefully you can get him being more productive. And then Easton is a really good pickup too. I think for that linebacker room that just needs more juice. It already has a lot of talent, but you know, this is a guy who come in and compete and, and play right away for, for USC and is an all-Pac-12 defender who's a first-team selection this past year, so that's never a bad thing uh, to bring onto your roster. So overall, I really like those pickups. Again, I mentioned Will Howard and Kamar Ramsey. Those guys aren't committed, but obviously USC has been involved in them, and we, we like where they are with them. But again, we'll talk more about those two guys on the live show this Wednesday. But I think we're ready to move on to the next topic, which is the losses Shotgun. We've talked about some gains the last two topics, but we have to talk about the losses. And real quick on Achille Arnold to finish up on him, uh, seventeen hundred over seventeen hundred snaps for him, so a ton of experience there too. But yeah, and let's move to, to the losses. Woo! Some uh, some notable ones. And look, yeah. go ahead. I mean, I'm, you, I'm sorry. You sorry. Out. I, was just, I was just setting it up for you because I know you're going to go in, but you know the transfer portal has been. A smattering of such. It's been kind of trickle, trickle for USC. You get a player, and then you know a couple days later, you get another player, and they've been they've been backups for the most part, or guys that didn't really play that much. It's it's here or there, and well, then all of a sudden, you know, you have this giant move of players over the last couple of days, with the last two days having the biggest portal entries for USC. So I'm just trying to pull up the list right here because you had, you know, guys like Andrew Millick, Fabian Ross, Dejan Benton, Michael Jackson, Leek Brown obviously was one we knew was going to hit, Chris Thompson Jr. But then over the weekend, you had Mario Williams enter the portal. And I think, while not super shocking, I, it was a little bit surprising. You know, he could have been a guy who could emer emerge as the veteran leader next season as being one of the older guys in a young wide receiver room, but that is a young wide receiver room that is obviously very talented. So maybe you saw that playing time shrinking was not coming off the greatest year, but so it, that one made sense. And then you had Michael Tarquin into the portal. And I know Shaka was the fighting for his life on Twitter for this one, but Michael Tarquin is a guy you brought in from Florida, expected to start, did start, didn't work out. It just wasn't a good fit. He struggled a lot, but still a guy who was an experienced tackle, uh, a guy who played, started in the SEC, and that would have been a welcomed guy to at least have on your depth chart in an emergency situation and build out your two deep. So I think it hurts from that perspective. But I think if you were starting Michael Tarquin next season, you would kind of be in a bad place. It just it was just struggles all around 
for him at right tackle ended up being benched and they whole shifted their whole entire line around having to fix that right tackle spot. So yeah, that, that was a, the next big, big domino to fall. And then Malachi Nelson, who obviously is the biggest portal name to enter for USC, the five-star freshman only played in one game, but just from an optics standpoint, you know, it's Lincoln Riley doesn't lose quarterbacks and you have the number five signal caller, a five-star prospect from the 2022, excuse me, 2023 class entering. That's a big deal. And obviously it made national waves on social media and the national media as look, this big five-star quarterback is on the market. And then less than 24 hours later, you had a four, another former five-star signee, Damani Jackson heading to the portal a guy who started this season has all the intangibles to be the measurables to be an NFL type guy, six foot one, 190 pounds, 200 pounds, runs a 10, three, 10, four. You know, that's your scouts are drooling over that kind of stuff. Very up and down, very up and down, but again, bad from an optics look and also a hit to their quarterback depth. You know, that was a guy you were expecting to take a jump under Danton Lynn, a quarterback by trade and a guy who's coached NFL secondaries. You're expecting big things from him next year. And then today, following the Bonnie Jackson news, you had Tackett Curtis, the Captain America, the guy who received the most amount of buzz than anyone this fall. Ended up being a starter this year, played all 12 games, but ended up moving to a backup role. Struggled a lot at times. You know, there were a couple moments, but for the most part, it was a very inconsistent up and down year. And, you know, the hype around him was so high. He would have never been able to, you know, match the hype that was going to him for this season. But, you know, they they talked him up a lot in the fall. He he struggled. And I still I still think, you know, he was rushed in a little bit too quickly. He was still learning linebacker after playing a hybrid safety position in high school, trying to learn college linebacker. I think there was a lot of things being thrown at him and picking up a scheme that wasn't the simplest pretty complex i think he was put in bad spots as a player and he was let down by coaching so i still think he's very talented but that's another huge hit that was supposed to be one of your bedrocks and building blocks for the defense next season so these last three have been really eye-opening for usc in terms of you know portal has given them life but this is the three biggest portal hits for usc i i would say in the lincoln riley era yeah usc has been really good at retention that's the biggest thing, or not the biggest thing, but that is a huge thing in the transfer portal now is not, hey, who can you get in? It's, hey, who can we make sure stays? And now you've seen other other programs. Georgia has had multiple five-stars go in. They had someone like Barry Alexander go in last year. Guys that are contributors. But for USC, when there's not a dearth of talent, but it the talent's not great on the roster overall, as compared to where it can be, where it has been in the past, um, you're just losing a ton of talented players off this roster, starting with someone like Caleb Williams. So then when you add that, you know, Caleb Williams, Justin Dedich, uh, Jared Kingston, we're losing starters to go along with Brendan Rice, Marshawn Lloyd. Now you start adding Mario Williams, who's a part-time starter, we'll, we'll call him. He started the season. He started last year. Michael Tarquin, part-time starter. But then Tackett Curtis, part-time starter. Demaya Jackson, full-time starter this year. Malachi Nelson, you viewed as a potential, you know, uh, you know, franchise piece for you. Those are huge losses for USC. 
And I think they're all big losses in their own way, in different ways. Maybe actually the one that's not the biggest, I I think of those five, I was ranking them. Mario Williams is is probably down low just because wide receiver depth is better, but Malachi Nelson might be at the bottom. And he said, whoa, the five-star quarterback, you know, one of the best, you know, it's so hard to get a five-star quarterback. He just felt like he was still two years away from contributing potentially. So, you know, his development has been very stunted by the shoulder injury, the little bits and pieces we've been able to see. And from hearing other people talk is just that it it wasn't quite there. What we anticipated at this, where he would be at by now, you know, coming in early, getting that spring ball. That's always a big step to be able to, you know, compete when you get into fall. And it was never really felt like a competition with him and Miller Moss for that backup spot. Miller's going to do it. That's it. And you want your five-star guy to be able to come in and immediately do something. Damani Jackson, I think, is probably the biggest one. Obviously, he's started the most. But also, positional depth is limited at, at cornerback right now. You're losing you know, your best cornerback in Christian Rolla Wallace. Big unknowns with Sierra Wright. Um, you, you know, you're looking at the roster right now, and you're going, Jacoby Covington, who's been banged up both of his years at USC, he's your go-to right now. Oh, hey, they can go in the portal and find somebody, and that's possible. And everybody keeps saying, oh, they'll just go in the portal and they'll get somebody. They'll just go get a receiver. They'll just go get this. They'll just go get this. They'll just go get a lineman. And that's why someone like Michael Tarquin, who didn't have a you know fantastic year, was was below average from what we anticipated coming over from uh, from Florida and starting there, anticipated him being a, kind of a bedrock piece. But that was the same thing with the entire offensive line. And maybe a second year, there's more cohesion, and maybe he plays better second year under Josh Henson. But it didn't feel like, you know, that, that's part of the reason. It didn't feel like he really gelled um, with the offensive line as a whole. Josh Henson, like that whole group just felt disjointed. So maybe next year it would have been better. But you're losing experience depth at the tackle position. I, I don't understand when everyone's like, it's not a loss, doesn't matter. How can you not consider it to be a loss, someone who has experience in the SEC, experience at USC, and can potentially get better? Everyone acts like, oh, what they were this year is exactly what they will be the rest of their career forever. Not knowing that these are college kids that get better, especially if they're coached up by the same people a second year and are familiar with their surroundings for a second year or a third year or a fourth year. Like Those things happen. Guys take jumps. Guys get better. Um People act like that's not a thing, but someone who has seen the defensive lines in the SEC, someone who has seen the defensive lines at USC uh, in the Pac-12, as you go into the the Big Ten, you don't think that would be valuable? Even if he's if he doesn't earn a starting role, how many times do we say someone on the offensive line is going to go down? It happens every year. Gina Quinones went out for you know season-ending injury, was going to be in the mix for them. And then – as the season progresses, Justin Didis misses time. My, uh, Jared Kingston misses the finale. Um, you, you know, guys get banged up. It happens. So how critical or how big it would have been if Cortland Ford was still on the roster. Exactly. Team. And like Cortland Ford, when you when you're mentioning, you know, USC last year and really lo- lo- a lot of backups, Cortland Ford is probably the one guy you're like, ah, oh, wish we still would have been able to keep him around if you're the coaching staff. When you look at what progresses, and then. You know, if you take Jarrett Kingston and Michael Tarquin and Emmanuel Pregnon and one of those guys doesn't work out, 
it's not as big of a blow because Cortland Ford could have been somebody you could thrown in there earlier. You know, he probably would have won that starting job if he played the way he was capable of playing. And you know, he had his ups and downs. And also there's the confidence piece. Like fans just act like how this player played in this very exact moment is how he will be the rest of his career. Not realizing that confidence plays such a huge piece of it. And if you could build Michael Turkman's confidence back, he's shown he can be more than adequate in the SEC. Why would he not be able to be adequate at USC? So that's why I said it was a big loss and everyone kind of freaked out on Twitter. And then I said the same thing about Demaya Jackson being a big loss. And people said, that's not a loss. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't understand where you guys are coming from. Maybe it's not a big loss off the 2023 team that was terrible. The defense was terrible. Damani Jackson did not play great. But you have to look at it outside of a vacuum, everyone. Like, get out, of, open your mind a little bit here. Damani Jackson basically did not play for two years. Damani Jackson is raw as hell, but he has such a high ceiling. And Dante Williams did some really good things with him. But maybe someone else comes in and Belk comes in and teaches in a different way and it clicks for it. And now you've got someone who's 6'1", 190, that runs the fastest time in California state history. That seems like it's pretty good. He's going to be able to go to Michigan or Alabama or potentially come back to USC. I've heard it's not out of the question. I wouldn't expect it, but I've been told that door is not closed yet. Um, but they've got to really sell him on development and how they can get him better. So we'll see if that happens. But wherever he goes, if he gets proper coaching, I think he takes off. I think he's a guy who's ready to take off. And one, he had to get confidence. I mentioned that a minute ago. He had to get confidence in his knee. All last year, he was struggling with confidence in his knee, and he admitted that. And that's rare that someone will admit that. And that was uh, you know, really telling of him that he was struggling with his confidence because, uh, as a player because he didn't know if he could trust his knee to be able to turn and run. So now a year under his belt with experience, speed of the game, all that type of stuff, and he was a starter all year, and he had his ups and downs. But you give him another year, I think he blossoms. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this guy named Makai Blackman. What did he do the first four or five years of his career? It was nothing spectacular at all. And then a new coach teaches him. And you guys, everyone wants to say Dante Williams didn't develop anybody at USC, but Makai Blackman went from being a ho-hum, meh cornerback in the Pac-12 to being, if not the best Pac-12 cornerback, then one of the top three, and becomes a third-round draft pick as an undersized cornerback. And, you know, as, as I think he was starting with the Vikings for at least part of this year. So, you know, that's somebody, and Christian Orla Wallace was a solid contributor at Arizona, so I don't think he took a big jump or anything, but Makai Blackman definitely did. And that's the same type scenario I think that Demaya Jackson's going to go into if he transfers to another program and they're able to teach him up. So I think he's a huge loss. Tiger Curtis, I think, is, is very similar. You mentioned how, you know, he was a safety in high school. He hasn't played the linebacker position. And, you know, we've had conversations with, with people and they're telling, well, Tack is doing exactly what they tell him to do. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. You know, I don't know the exact play calls and all that type of stuff. But maybe he's so focused on doing his exact job, and then as he gets more comfortable, he stops trying to think about things, suddenly it becomes easier, and he realizes, oh, I've seen this before, I've seen that before, I've seen it from this view rather than a safety view. I know when I have to stay home versus when I have to go you know, balls to the wall and attacking the hole. Uh, but you see the potential there. 
to sort of lose him, I think is another big loss for what you're trying, because you're always trying to stack those classes too. Like Eric Gentry is a question mark to me still. Like, I feel like he's a guy that could still enter the transfer portal. And if he does, you are about to have one and done. Like there's going to be no one left in the linebacker room. You have Rajon Davis, I believe, has two years remaining, maybe only one year of eligibility remaining. I would have to check on that real quick. But then Mascarenas, uh, I think he has two, and Cobb has one. So you're going to have no one to backfill behind them. One, if anyone gets hurt next year, but then the next year after that, you're going to be, you know, you have a bare bones room. And hey, maybe they can still add somebody, but that may push somebody else out if you add somebody from the transfer portal. So you want to, you got to be able to combine that transfer portal, bringing in a guy for one year or two years with the highly touted freshman, give him a little bit of playing time, build him up, and he becomes the next guy. And like USC's not doing a great job of that right now with their rooms because of some of these defections and stuff. Um, and because they're not crushing it on the recruiting trail with the high schoolers. So that's part of the reason why I think they went and got some developmental guys is to, all right, we'll start backfilling some of these classes to build guys that will build up over a couple of years. Uh, it's similar in basketball. Like it, it's very, very difficult to have a roster of one and dones. Creating that chemistry, cohesion, all that stuff is very difficult. It's good to have a mix of super talented guys that may leave after a year and four-year guys that are going to be around that do all the glue stuff, that know all your principles and stuff that you want to do. Um, and that's where I think USC is kind of in a bind right now and kind of in a state of flux. Like, who wants to play for USC? Like, do people still want to play for USC? Are they doing enough that people still want to play for USC and you're not defecting? You know, you hear someone like Miller Moss talk about, I want to be QB1, I wanted to be at USC, but, you know, he could be a guy that leaves if, you know, the writing's on the wall, if they do get Will Howard or someone else, and there's a big NIL commitment behind it. So, you, ah, who are you going to fill it with? They didn't get a quarterback in this class. Don't have one in the next class unless Juju Lewis uh, reclassifies. So you're back when you backfill positions like that, you're backfilling with Jake Jensen. And Jake Jensen could be a solid third string guy for you for four years of his, his college career. But do you really want that to be the guy starting for you? And those are the guys you can backfill with right now because you're you're trying to bring in guys that can contribute right away versus the five star and having that mesh. And right now, USC, it doesn't feel like that mesh is happening very well. And that's why you – Will Howard visits and everyone gets excited, but then you lose a five-star to the transfer portal a couple of days later. That was really well done. You touched on just about everyone and kind of meshed it all together as one. So I give you, you – you deserve that water drink you're taking right now. So so I'm going to give you hats off for that <laughs> that water drink. But So you deserved it. So – yeah, I mean, I don't need to rehash a lot of things you said, but you're right. This this does feel like a really interesting transfer class for USC because it feels like I don't want to say crossroads, but you're in a your back's against the wall in certain positions in terms of the depth chart, and you're coming off a seven and five season, and your recruiting class high school wise was supposed to be you know, top five, top 10 at minimum, and you're kind of around 17 right now. So that is lower than the expectations that you had going into this year. The whole year has, you know, been below expectations. You know, it was it was college football playoff or bust, and they're bust right now. They're going to the Holiday Bowl. So you you have your backs to the wall in some regards. You, you fired 
you know, your DC got a new new staff coming in, but you have to fill some positions and you're going to have to have to rely on the transfer portal once again. And to your point about, you know, specifically offensive linemen, you never know what's going to be in the portal for that given cycle. You just yeah. don't know. Yeah, you you can have down cycles at the re- recruiting at the high school. You're like, okay, this running back class isn't isn't great. There's not really a five-star elite running back, but there's still running backs you can find and that you like. And I guess that's the same in the transfer portal. But for the most part, a lot of the stuff going to the transfer portal, and I don't mean this, you know, in a disrespectful way, but it kind of is going to come off that way. Some of it's junk shotgun. Some of it is not, you know, starting caliber, you know, into the portal. And especially like offensive linemen, there's a reason why premier offensive linemen do not go in the portal because teams are doing whatever they can to hold on to those guys. You do not want to lose a premier left tackle. Gerard has hit on this several times. Like you don't see a lot of left tackles go like starting day one NFL kind of left tackles go in the portal because teams know how important those are. Look at USC's line this year. You know, there's a reason why it's a premier position and you don't want to lose those guys off your roster. So yeah, Michael Tarquin, just to your point about that, really struggled this year but again you can't assume that was a finished product and that he could bounce back from that and just that experience is is so valuable he's already picked up offers from florida and texas a&m you know the school that he left re-offered him that is yeah. funny to me but but you they see how valuable a guy with tackle experience is and starting experience and yeah i i think it, he it is a is it is a hit from a, a from a depth standpoint you do have some young offensive linemen that you like that you hope are ready for next season, but you're when hoping. I talk about back against, you're hoping, yes, you're hoping it's all a gamble, but also when I talk about their backs being up against the wall, it's not going to be easier in 2024. You have the second hardest schedule for the rankings with LSU and the Big Ten. You're going to Michigan, and it's just brutal, and you're going to have a new starting quarterback. You don't have Caleb Williams to 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 cover some stuff up, so yeah, their backs against the wall. This is a huge crossroads of an offseason and a transfer class they pull in that can, you know, hopefully they win enough games in the Big Ten. You can build up more juice. You can have a better recruiting class. You know, 2025 is a cycle where we kind of feel like the relationships that Lincoln Riley and the staff have built when they arrived in 2022, this is when it starts to pay off in 2025. So the expectations for this class are much higher, I think, because – there's some really talented kids in the 2025 class, especially locally, defensively. So this is a big class for them. So I'm really interested to see how this this offseason and this this transfer cycle plays out because it's a little bit slower. You know, they're not racking in the transfers like they were last year after an 11-3 season. Got Caleb Williams coming back. You don't have that. You got to go out and grind. Kind of feels like almost the first year when Lincoln Riley. You know, they had to kind of recruit off faith a little bit. You got to recruit back to the drawing board. You got to be like, okay, we were 75. Seven and five, we sucked. Went out, got a new coach. You know, come believe in the, the thing we're building. Come believe in the b- thing we're building. You know, last year was easy. You could, hey, look at what we built after a four-win season. Yep. Look where we're going. Now you have to go back to that kind of square one. Be like, hey, this is where we want to build. Come be a part of it. So kind of feels like that all over again. Yeah, and basically that class they brought in, that grant, we knew it was going to be a small high school class, that first class for Lincoln Riley. You got one season of, of Demonte Jackson starting and whatever Zion Branch gives you. That's it from the class, at least so far. 
And unless you think Garrison Madden, Devin Tompkins, or Cooper Lovelace is going to suddenly become a guy, that may be it that you get for the entire class. Now, granted, they got a ton of transfers, and those transfers, you know, were big time players, Jordan Addison's and the Gentries and Caleb Williams and you know, all those guys, Travis Dye. But it's from the high school level, and that's you got to build those building blocks. You know, you got to stack those classes. You mentioned you know, you never know what's going to go in the portal. So you can't count on it to be like, okay, they'll definitely be what we're looking for. And you mentioned how high school, sometimes there's a down class. It's just not really a great quarterback class or not really a great running back class. The difference in high school is you can look into the future and see what is coming the next class. The transfer portal is like, you can't be like, all right, well, Michael Williams will be there next year. They'll, they'll definitely be a Michael Williams. They'll definitely be this guy. Um, and how many times have we heard big time names? Um, you know, Mason was uh, defensive tackle Walter. from LSU. Uh, oh, uh, Mason. Uh, oh, what's his name? I'm blanking <laughs> on it. I'm blanking. On it. But to, to use an ex- another example, Walter Nolan was talked about for last cycle. There was a lot of talk about smoke about him coming in last cycle. So they were like, oh, we're going to get Bear Alexander and Walter Nolan. Obviously, Walter didn't hit last cycle. But uh, he hit this cycle. So, you know, and look, you, you and just look never how much, know. How much conversation there's been about USC with Walter Nolan? Zero. Zero. I mean, maybe 1%. I mean, maybe 1% people have thrown out that combination. Just because someone injures doesn't mean you're even going to be in the mix. Mason and like Smith. Walter Nolan, Mason Smith, there you go, that was that he and Corey Foreman were going to be a tandem. And everybody's like, oh, Mason Smith's going to go in the transfer portal. This guy's going to go in the transfer Marvin Harrison Jr. is going in the transfer portal. Those guys just don't end up going. And suddenly there's not an elite receiver in the class in last year's transfer portal class. Like, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that was a huge impact guy that made anything close to what Jordan Addison did as far as the impact they were doing. Now, there's some other guys that – but, like, I think Gerard's talked about it. Like, he hasn't seen a wide receiver go into the portal yet that he's been really, you know, really stands out to him as, like, oh, that could be a number one guy. And so teams are doing a better job of locking them up. Even when you talk about left tackles and stuff, like, you don't see the franchise left tackle go in the portal. We saw some of those early. And there were – maybe there were five of those type of guys, just to give up an a, a even number. And three of them ended up back at their own schools. Because it's like, oh, I'm gonna go in the transfer portal. Oh, you want to pay me my money? Okay, okay. You know what I'm, I'm sorry, actually. I worth. didn't mean it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna yeah. come back. So you don't know what's gonna happen with the transfer portal in that regard. So and, and so you're looking at the classes. USC's 2022 class. High school has has they got one season of Demai Jackson and whatever Zion Branch ends up giving them in the future. Um, and then the 2024 class. You, you talked about it. They, the expectation was this would be a big class coming off a big season. They got one top 50 player. They got nobody in the top 25, one top 50 player, and then three guys in the back of the top 100. No one, and then one player in the back of the top 200. So your top five guys are in the top 200, but it's not like they're in the top 25. It's not like you got five five stars there. And that's with Xavier Jordan being a guy that it's kind of been – little bit uh you know aloof a bit when it comes to solidifying himself in the class uh as far as social media posts and whatnot so if they lose him then you got three top 100 guys and and 
And Cameron Fountain, I think, is a developmental guy, even though he's a top 100 guy. Like, he's he's raw, so he's not going to be an impact guy immediately for me. So that's hard to look at and say, oh, they're going to do it. Like, there's no impact pieces here. Easton Mascarenas Arnold, impact piece, quite possibly. But he's got to break into the, the linebacker role. Akili Arnold is going to be a solid piece. I don't know that he's an impact piece. Like, I don't see anyone yet in this recruiting class that is an impact player, transfer portal or immediate impact player. Excuse me, let me, let me rephrase, because I think some of these, the, the guys in the high school class will eventually be guys for them. Uh-huh. But the only one that, that I look at is, is Mascarenas, and then maybe Marcellus Williams comes in and can be immediately be a guy, but that's really tough for, you know, freshman cornerbacks to do. I don't think he's as good as Adori. I don't think he was as good as Biggie. And those guys rotated a little bit and then eventually started getting a little bit more time uh, coming in as true freshmen. So it, it recruiting overall is, is not where USC is used to being. And it's unfortunate because we've seen this before with the Clay Helton. But at that time, it was like everything is falling apart. If they just fire this guy, maybe things change. But right now it feels like, there's something missing. If it's just the NIL piece, I don't know. Um, or in, in a, yeah, NIL uh, piece, I'm not sure. But th- they're not hitting on all cylinders right now when it comes to recruiting. Okay, so I'm going to assume that everyone that was listening going into this segment, half of them like stopped listening. They turned it off. It was too much to handle. They couldn't. They couldn't handle uh, a very depressing segment. Uh, for this podcast. So I'm assuming they stopped listening, but we're going to take a break right now. We're going to talk about USC's new defensive backs coach after the break, then get into some questions. And then I'm going to shout out some people that bought some Helium Boy merch this past Woo-hoo. week. So let's go, Shaka. Let's get to that break. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Shadi, we're back. How are you doing? Hanging in there. You know, my voice is still. This is two weeks now that it's not been full strength, but I'm I'm battling, Chris. You know, I'm a I'm a feisty uh, feisty podcaster. I think you've you've put up some good numbers here in the first half of this podcast. So let's let's close on a high note, uh, Shadi. Now, our last topic before questions is, you know, they go together hand in hand, and that is Dante Williams, USC's cornerback coach former interim head coach who who took over the ship when Clay Helton was fired in, in 2021. He, quote-unquote, resigned from USC and is now off to Georgia to join Kirby Smart's staff as the cornerbacks uh, coach there. And then it might have been two minutes. It might have been 30 seconds. I don't know. Time worked very weird when news is breaking. But within that same span, it was reported by uh, Matt Zenith our new 24-7 Sports National college football writer, analyst, who's been crushing it throughout this December. He reported that USC was going to hire Doug Belk, the Houston co-defensive coordinator 
slash safeties coach as their new defensive back coach for Dan Tinlin's staff. So he, Doug Belk, became the official second hire for Lynn's staff under uh, alongside uh, Matt Entz as the uh, the long linebackers coach. So a little bit about, you know, Doug Belk, very young coach. You know, he's been at Houston the last five years, came in as a co-DC, moved up to the, the full-time DC, was a Royals uh, finalist for the top, a the top, uh, one of the, excuse me, he was the Royals semifinalist in 2021 as one of the top assistants in the nation. That is a better way to say that. Uh, Belk's name was tied to defensive back positions at Georgia and Florida. Obviously, Houston had gone through a coaching change of their own. Dana Holgerson had been fired, so it was unlikely that Belk was going to be retained. He was going to be moving on. But he's had, you know, Houston's defense wasn't that great this past season. You know, at one point it was a really solid unit, and he was considered a you know a guy who can maybe move up to his own head coaching job. But they really struggled the, the last couple of seasons. But, again, Belk is not coming in as the D.C. for – USC is coming in as a defensive backs coach. He has a pretty good resume specifically because he was a, a grad assistant at Alabama under working directly under Nick Saban and Kirby smart with the defensive backs. So if you're going to learn from some guys, those are two pretty good ones to have on your roster or on your resume shotgun. So he comes from that Alabama, Nick Saban tree, won a national championship with them uh, as a member of that staff. Has been on the West Virginia's coaching staff as well. Started out at Valdesta State. Shotgun, I'm sure you know specifically where that is out there in the Georgia. He is a Georgia boy, he's a Georgia native. So he's going to help with USC's uh, footprint in the state, in the region, in the SEC, and obviously in Texas, having been in Houston for several seasons. So I think it's a good pickup in terms of the recruiting footprint that you want to set in Texas and in the South. They've been really hammering Georgia. Obviously, getting Julie Lewis out of there, Cameron Fountain out of there, Walter Matthews out of there. They're trying to set up that pipeline. Uh, Belk is going to help with that. So I like the hire. You know, obviously, the Houston defense wasn't great last year. But again, he's coming in as defensive backs coach. He's learned under one of the best coaches ever in college football, the greatest one ever in terms of who was a defensive backs coach by trade. So I like, you know, that tutelage he's had. And coming in under Lynn's staff, another guy who has been a DC, you know, with Ents. That's two guys who have been DCs on the staff. So again, you're getting a lot of good coaching and a lot of experience from a defensive standpoint for this staff next season. Yeah, I think it's another power move bringing in a DC for a position coach. I think just similar to Ents, um, I think it is. They're a guy that's been a Broyles Award, I think, semifinalist a couple times. Um, and also, I, I think there was a quote when Nick Saban said he's tried to hire this guy a couple times, and it just hasn't worked out uh, since he has been an analyst on his staff and whatnot. So, if 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 uh, Nick Saban, cornerback by trade, who still coaches up the cornerbacks for Alabama, talks about someone that's a secondaries coach and says that he's good, I'm going to trust him. I, and Nick, we trust in that regard. So. I'm going to give him the the benefit of the doubt pretty much on pretty much anything college football related. And so I think that it's a a big hire for USC, and I think it's a a big positive for them. One thing I don't know, Chris, and maybe this this all happened. I don't even remember what day it was, but 
everything was kind of going crazy. I think I was on a train ride or something, you know, like a holiday train ride thing with some friends and everything starts popping off crazy. Why, why did we calling it Dante Williams resigned? Did he put that in his, his goodbye note or whatever? Like, why are we calling it resigned? Like he, he got a new job. Like this is all right. That, that, that's a fair question, but that's how it was described to me by some people that it has, he had resigned. He had turned in his resignation today or whatever the day it was. I think it was Saturday, but yeah. I guess that, you, that was when you're getting described. a new job, do you, you know, like does, does Matt Entz, I guess he resigns at some point, right? I mean, technically he got hired away. To, yeah. Okay. That, but I don't know what happened first. I don't know the order of operations <laughs> for these kinds of things. But I will say Doug Boak was on campus today. We saw mm-hmm. him uh, walk out with uh, Danton Lynn uh, for practice. They went into practice together. Uh, Triple Double got a photo of them walking out. He posted a video of the two of them walking out. I believe it's his first day on, on campus. And then Matt Entz, apparently it was his first day as well on campus. But I did not see him. Shotgun, I'm just going to assume that when Matt Entz first arrived, he went to the beach and just laid on the beach. Uh, I'm going to assume that's what he did, and that's where he is right now. That's what I'm assuming, uh, coming from North Dakota, which was a fun game, by the way. I don't know if you watched that game. That was a fun game. I got to watch a little bit of it um, before I was actually watching it. Uh, the end of regulation, going into overtime, I had to board a flight to to come down here to Georgia, so I didn't get to see the overtime. I just saw the final, the two-point conversion and everything. So um, I, I – I did see the fake punt, the terrific call. I don't know why the, the defense was not in safe at that time. Like, what are you doing? That was not a very good call by South Dakota on that one. But I think instead of coming to the beach, I bet at least maybe on his flight, he was sitting there devising up two-point conversion defenses. Like, I bet you that's what he was doing. Maybe when he got off the plane, he's like, all right, I got to go to the beach. Or maybe he was still for 24 hours. Like, I'm up in the sand. Just drop. Oh, there you go. There could be. That could be it. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to me. Like, who's actually going to coach in the game? Like, who's getting elevated with Dante Williams being gone? Dante's gone. He's not here. He's not sticking around for the bowl game here. Oh, the big holiday bowl matchup. Got to stick around for that instead of going and finding out by my players that are going to be in the college football playoff. So you know who's getting elevated there. If there's any more changes, someone else get elevated because. Lincoln Riley said none of the new coaches are going to participate in the, you know, the bowl game stuff, which I, again, I will double down on the fact that I think just go this game's lost, especially with the number of players you're losing. Stop caring about whether you win this game and start focusing on the gauntlet that is that 2024 schedule and take an extra set of spring practices in the, in December. That's what I would have done. I would start implementing that defense as soon as possible Get to know your players that way. I don't care about the blowback. Oh, the defense will be the same as it was it was before. Because now everybody's going to be like, yeah, there were, of course they were going to lose when they don't have any. You know, of course the defense is going to give up points when they don't have their, their starting cornerback. They don't have this guy. They don't have that guy. Um, and that's going to be another question in the Holiday Bowl too. We're going to actually have to figure out how many do they have. This might be a similar game to Cal, uh, the COVID Cal game, like where it's like, all right, how many players do they actually bring with them? How many players are actually going to suit up and you know potentially be used in this game? I just want to say we probably both have eligibility left if we want to suit up, uh, get a, get a little run time out there. You know, run out on Petco Park. I don't know. I'm I'm just saying. I'm just my, saying. So. My eligibility clock is over, Chris. 
Okay. Get, okay. So I'm done for. Sorry. You know what? You know what else is done for this segment? Shotgun. Thank oh. you for for that layup oh. of a thing. We're going to move on to the questions for this. But Shotgun, do we actually have a review as well? We do. We have a review. First off, thank you everyone for sending a review, sending in questions, all that. Chris, there's some questions there. While I'm giving my spiel here, you can look through, highlight the ones you want and the ones you don't want. We didn't have, get too many questions, so you don't have to have too many to pick from. I said we would take two to three, so you get to pick. Um, I did make that compromise for you because you put me on blast on Twitter uh, about our conversation uh, about text questions, taking questions and whatnot. But thank you, everyone, for, for participating. Obviously, this is part of the Peristyle Podcast family, but... This is the Healing Boys Podcast. We got the merch. You got to get some of that as well. But thank you all for reviewing, liking, subscribing. If you haven't done it yet, do all those things right now. Give us that five-star review, which is what Ehabs the Beat gave us uh, a couple weeks ago. Just got it from Ryan. He said, what great pods on what's happening inside USC football. So many great shows that not only give you inside scoop, but also include analysis and metrics on performance. Shout out to Shotgun. Thanks for helping me throughout my workouts and long drives in New Jersey. He also says, Shadi, if you have a watch party in, New Jer- in North Jersey, I would love to come and enjoy with a few Jersey Trojans. So I don't, I'm, in, I'm in South Jersey. Uh, yeah, but you know, maybe we can figure out something. I don't know. We'll see what the holiday bowl is. It's around the holidays, so that makes things even more hectic. Uh, my father's actually coming back with me to New Jersey, so he'll be around the house as well. And that's another uh, child that I have to take care of at the same time. So we'll see if that can happen. Uh, we'll, I don't know. Maybe we can find some kind of watch party for the Holiday Bowl. Uh, or if not, maybe something in the future with the USC coming to the Big Ten. There'll be games a lot closer for sure. But thank you so much for leaving uh, the review. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Shotgun, I have bolded three questions here. I'm just going to jump into them if you're ready. Yep. We gotta give the first one here to El Chicano, the uh, famous Twitter personality that is all over USC Twitter. He wants to know who do you see taking over as the wide receiver number one for the upcoming season, or is it more by committee like the twenty twenty three season? And who do you think? And and do you think having no clear number one hurts the offense? And I gotta shout out El Chicano because he's a big fan of this podcast. And my composite two-star recruits podcast. So I just got to shout him out for that. So who do we see as the number one wide receiver? I mean, I think you'd hope that Zach Branch takes the leap to being the guy next season. I know that's kind of a big jump a little bit. You know, battled some injuries, didn't really get into the flow of things as, as most people would have wanted. Obviously still a deadly returner. But I think you're hoping to see that jump or for Zachariah Branch, maybe not the true number one, but a guy who's at the top of the, the food chain, if you will, for the wide receivers. That's a good selection. I'm not going with that one, though, Chris. Of course, of course. So, you know, maybe it's a 1A or 1B, and you could do that potentially because Zachariah Branch will be inside. Outside, Deuce Robinson. He's the guy that's gotten the most opportunities. He's a guy that's been trying to kind of force feed extra time, extra chances force feed him red zone opportunities earlier in the season. So I think he's a guy they have a a ton of trust in and they think that he can continue to get better. Now we'll see how does his development go? Cause he is going to go in the spring and play baseball. Does that stunt his development at all? 
and maybe some of those other freshmen take a little bit of step for, in front of him. And then he may have to make a decision after a year of playing baseball and football if, if he has to focus on one or not. But I think he's a guy that can take a big jump forward. We always talk about for, from freshman to sophomore is usually that, that first year, the second year is usually when you see the biggest jump. And I, I think he's a guy that with the experience he got this season can be a guy to take a big jump. So I, I think Deuce Robinson's a guy that could be number one. Do, do we think we hurt, it hurt the team this year? I mean, I think Taj Washington was the number one guy. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever there was a third down, whenever it was a go-to type situation, it felt like it was Taj Washington. Now, occasionally, you know, if they want to take a shot, they're going to Brendan Rice. But, you know, sometimes you have a speedy guy and you want him to be the shot guy. But uh, what I consider number one is when you get in that crunch time, who's the guy you're really going to turn to and who's the guy you're trying to force the ball to and design stuff for? And that seemed more Taj Washington this season. And I thought he was – you know, fit well in that role. Now, not having the guy that could take the top off the defense and not attempting to do that more, I think is something that hurt them with the receiver group. Um, and maybe that's something we see Zachariah Branch. You know, when I talked with him when he came into the show, he would love to, you know, get some more opportunities to to take some deep shots. Now, you're throwing, are you going to throw up a 50-50 ball to a 5'11 guy, 5'10 guy? That's not ideal. But if he gets that step, it's not a 50-50 ball anymore. So that's the big thing. Like, can you design, you know, get him. I, you know what I would love to see, Chris? And I wish I was around um, practice more because you know how I'd always kind of chat with the coaches about different things in the offense and different things that they're doing and just kind of picking their brains as they're walking off the field. I would love to chat with Lincoln Riley and say, have you thought about some of that burst motion we see in the NFL that's become a big thing this year with Tyreek Hill and some of those guys? Obviously, the the comparison has been Tyreek Hill for Zachariah Branch that motion where you're starting someone, you start him in that H-back spot or whatever, and he just takes off on a full sprint and goes out and runs a wheel route off of it. Who's keeping up with that? Like now you got to switch things as a defense. Like that is something that when I saw that, that motion they started doing, it started early in the season, but has become, you know, copycat league. So a lot of people started doing it. I said, boy, Zach Branch would be look good in this. Uh, let me put this on Zach Branch. I want, I want to be, I want number one to be doing this at some point. So I would love to see something like that being implemented to try to get him some deep shots and get him the ball down, uh, you know, uh, behind the defense. When you said, who's going to stop this? I can tell you right now, I am not going to stop it. That's for (laughs) damn sure. Uh, The next question comes from Brandon GRR, Brandon Gurr, maybe Uh, helium boys question, hot take Riley wants a more pro style quarterback, like hashtag Miller time or will Howard to run an offense time of possession over quick strike. That's more conducive to playing good defense. Thoughts? Riley is still going to scheme up great offense, maybe just evolving. This has been sort of a hot take theory for not not the good defense part, but shotgun, not Gerard, excuse me. Gerard has been saying that Lincoln Riley has wanted to show that he can win with a more pro-style traditional quarterback to show NFL teams that, hey, I can do it with, either kind of quarterback but he also has mentioned several times that the best kind uh the best lincoln riley offense is one run by a mobile quarterback that can run that rpo will howard obviously is not as dangerous or athletic as a caleb williams but he still can move and he still can run he's six foot four 240 pounds it's just a different kind of runner shotgun caleb williams would would lay lay a shoulder into you Will Howard's going to lay both his shoulders into you? 
Uh, Will Howard, you know, looking at his numbers on PFF and stuff, like he he doesn't make guys miss. So he's not that type of guy. He's not going to be scrambling around the backfield and making guys miss. He doesn't run for a bunch of yards on scramble plays. He's a guy you design quarterback power for, though. So he's more Jalen Hurts as far as designed runs that way. And how they use Caleb Williams at times, you know, because Caleb Williams kind of built like a running back. So they could use him that way. So I think if they do get Will Howard and he becomes a start quarterback, I think you'll see more QB powers and QB runs designed, especially on short yardage situations, uh, especially with the issues they had on short yardage some in this this season, just having an extra blocker be able to run. But I don't I don't really prescribe to the theory that um you know, he wants to show that I can win with a certain type of quarterback versus this, or I want to prove myself in that regard. I just think Lincoln Riley wants to win. And I, I thought it was a re- really interesting the way Brandon, you know, framed this is, do you go to a more pro style that slows the game down a little bit? And, you know, that you're, it's not as much about the motions and, uh, you know, the misdirection and confusing people. That's interesting because you want to be conducive to playing good defense. Now, it's not like Lincoln Riley runs this super fast, up-paced tempo offense. They just no huddle. Like, I I don't – like, some people think that because USC is no huddle that they are running the blur offense of Chip Kelly. They don't run 100 plays a game. Uh, They – you know, it's 50 to 60. Like, they take their time, and that's Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley assessing at the line of scrimmage, taking forever. That's just time that normally would be where the pro style you're spent in the huddle, designing, you know, laying out the play and taking your time to call in the play. That's the difference. So it's not like they run a, a ton more plays. So, so I don't think that a pro style makes it more conducive for the defense in that regard, uh, you know, as far as the tempo that they're trying to play with. And as far as quick strike, like every offense is attempting to be quick strike. Every offense, if they can score on the first play, they will. Now, maybe the exception being Kirk Ferentz and whatever offense he's going to run, and we'll get to those comments in a second. But otherwise, like everyone is going, you know, if they can score on one play, they will. If it's a run to the quarterback and it is a halfback dive and he takes to the house, not, no coach is going to be like, no, 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 call that back, call that back. We want a penalty on that one because we scored too fast. So it, it's not necessarily time of possession necessarily there, but it's the tempo USC could use if they were going true no huddle and really attacking with that uh, speedy no huddle. USC doesn't really do that. So I, I think the difference being a pro-style quarterback helps you in practice because you see that more often, maybe so. And that would be that's actually changing your whole offense, so I don't think Lincoln Riley is necessarily going to do that. But evolving? I- Evolving is, uh, is this an evolution of Lincoln Riley? That's the big question. I think some of the things he's emphasized and focus tells you he's taking a step. Now we'll see what the results end up being later. Our third and final question comes from just Joan. The transfer portal appears to be turning into a money market for players looking to get paid. Very few of the patients get developed to face adversity, trust the process and develop. Kristen Shotgun, please comment on whether you believe it is good for players in the long run, the way it is evolving. To me, it's a bunch of old men paying big bucks for their own egos in a championship at the expense of many of these players' futures and their best interests. That's a, uh, I wouldn't say a hot take. I think it's a very visceral look at what is happening, a money market where 
it's a free agency essentially for college football players, but it's also different because unlike the NFL, these guys, as Joan put points out, they haven't been developed fully. There are guys going and moving that haven't been developed fully, like a like an LFL player who's played, you know, four years at the NFL, then he's going to the free agency and making a jump to the Falcons or the Saints or wherever he's going. You know, it's different in college. You're you're still a kid. You still don't know the the ways of the world and this world of NIL and money and hundreds of thousands of dollars being offered to you. There's a lot of things going on. And at the end of the day, you just want to play football and, you know, get developed and maybe have a chance to the NFL. So I would, I would say it has definitely changed the game. I think there will be changes made, but again, you're still waiting for that breaking point from the NCAA. If there is an NCAA later down the road or just some sort of guardrails for this entire thing that is the transfer portal and NIL. They opened Pandora's box. There's no closing it, and we're seeing the results of that. I do think there are, you know, kids are being taken advantage of in some regards, but also sometimes, you know, a kid just wants to to get paid and move on and go somewhere else. You know, look at like a like a Quinn Ewers went to Texas, got paid a lot of money, then went to Ohio State, excuse me, went to Ohio State, got paid a lot of money, then bounced and went to Texas, and now he's in the college football playoff. You know, there's different ways that these players and these families and these handlers are doing it. And again, I'm not saying this is for the USC players that have entered the portal or anything like that. This is more just a general statement. I I don't think it's... I can't say if it's good for the players in the long run because this is still the short term. I don't really know. I just think that a lot of different motivating factors are, are going on for different players and stuff but money changes everything and that's what you're seeing right now you're on mute shotgun you're on in, mute. The, in the long run it's good for players um the fact that players can get paid they're helping create tons of money for the universities so the fact that they can get paid is is positive now should it be pay for play it would be much better if it was a true NLI name or NIO, excuse me, name, image, likeness. And that's what you get paid for, not ability to play for this particular program, which is that's pay for play. That's the difference. To her, it's a bunch of old men paying big bucks for their own egos in a championship at the expense of many of these players' futures and their best interest. This is college football in a nutshell for forever. It's just now above table. And now that it's above table and it's not bag men, then now everyone is allowed to participate. Whereas some schools in the past would not do that. They were, you know, you, you, you talk about how there's the five families of NIL. In the past, there were the five families of the bag men, except there were probably more than five and it was more common in the South. But now it's just above board. And so you're seeing different things come out of it and yeah, it's it's guys, they're paying the big bucks. Of course, it's for their own ego. They want their school or their program. They want to say, I helped build that. And if you read any of the in-depth pieces that have been done on Bagman in the past where, you know, it's usually anonymous things, it's all about, I helped get that guy. I did that. It's all about their ego. And yeah, they want to win a championship. And is it for the best of the player? No, it's not. Hey, what is the best fit for you both? for your schooling and 
you know, your potential degree that you want after you get done with football and what fits you best as far as schematically to help you get to the next level. It's like, it's no, it's can this guy help my team? That's what it's always been. So, yes, it is a bunch of old men and women. We won't uh, discriminate here. Uh, and their egos trying to help build a championship. To say all that, to say it's it's been that way for forever, but it's good in the long run. The players are getting paid. It's above table now. Like I said, I just would prefer that it be NIL rather than pay for play. And we'll see how things continue to adapt and evolve because it it, it is that. And I think you're seeing now where some teams are like, yeah, we don't have the pieces right now. We're not going to go all in this year. Whether it be someone, I don't know, like a Big Ten, uh, Big 12 school or something, the Oklahoma States of the world. But then you see a team like Missouri has been catching, they had a really good season. They, you know, they're building on that momentum and saying, all right, we've now got people excited. We're going to put the bill for a bigger NIL. And we're going to go out and attract some big names in the transfer portal and go kind of all in for this next season to see if they can go get that championship. And I think you're going to see some schools pop up that may not, maybe not be contenders year in and year out, but may sense we got a really good quarterback. If we can surround him this year, this might be our year. And, you know, that quarterback leaves and, you know, the, the oil, uh, oil prices go down or whatever. And, you know, Texas people aren't making money, and suddenly they say, oh, let's back up a little bit on the NIL spending this season. But you get someone to lead in there, and suddenly everyone gets excited and does the same thing. So you may see that type of thing where there's a little bit where certain teams are always going to be all in, and then certain teams are going to pick their spots to kind of go all in on certain seasons. I should clarify, I do think it's good for the players in the long run because they deserve to get paid based on, you know, the billions of dollars they generate from the entertainment that is college football. So they deserve to be get they deserve to be paid for, you know, their name, image, and likeness. I do think that's good. But yeah, it, it's just become even crazier than it was when it was just in the shadows. And it's still being done in the shadows, the the quote unquote pay for play. It's just a whole new ball game now with mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the same players. And but the rules are a little bit different. So again, we have to see what's gonna because it's still evolving, as you said, it's still moving. And again, we don't know what's gonna look like next year, two years, and definitely don't know what it's gonna look like in five years or so. So again, just something we're gonna have to go along for the ride, shotgun. As USC is currently being sued along with the Pac-12 and the NCAA for by the NLRB um, about whether student athletes are employees, that could drastically change everything there's so many things that could could change and affect things but how about the nil per capita of the state of mississippi the state of mississippi is the poorest in the nation uh per capita i believe i believe it still is and yet they are picking up huge you know transfers both schools you know consistently so People are saving up their money and spending it on college football players. That's how much college football means in in that state, I guess. Just means more, Shotgun, as the slogan for the SEC is. Is that the official slogan or is that just like an unofficial slogan? No, I mean, they use it all in all their stuff, so all their marketing. Yeah, everyone's getting sued. Please don't sue this podcast. Please (laughs) don't sue this podcast. That's all I said. Shotgun, that... He's going to wrap up questions. 
I'm not doing take it or leave it because so much has happened over the last God knows how many days it's been three days, 15 days, 30 days. I don't know. Just so much has happened. Time is warped. Chris's eyes are the the bags under Chris's eyes are drooping to his chin right now. Um, And we still have plenty of stuff to to write and prepare for signing day and everything that's going to happen because there's going to be more transfers in and out both uh, before that happens and, uh, there could be some flips. There could be some decommitments, some more commitments. Who knows? We'll see what all, all that happens. But Chris, I have a take it or leave it for you. Oh, no. Take it or leave it. Kirk Ferentz's comments. And from your reaction, when I mentioned it, you did not, it did not seem that you had heard these comments, but he took some shots at USC today. He was asked about his offensive coordinator and what he's looking for. And he said, Hey, anybody that comes in here has to have an appreciation. We've won a few games. I know sometimes we all forget about that. We won a few games here. I probably wouldn't be standing here after 25 years if that weren't the case. And complimentary football is the best way to win here, in my opinion. And he went on to say that there's a school on the West Coast right now that's that's going to recommit to defense. Actually, he started with, I can think of a guy who entered the conference recently that came with widely acclaimed offensive stats and all that. I don't know who that could be, Chris. Who just entered the Big Ten, possibly from the West Coast, uh, you know, that's usually how those guys get to become well-known. But then you look a little deeper. What is this guy's wins per game? And there's usually a correlation. People that just throw the ball around, it makes it tougher to win. It makes it tougher to be good on defense. There's a school in the West Coast right now that's going to recommit to defense. Gave up 42 to Tulane last year in a bowl game. It was actually 46 points. Let's not – but Kirk is pretty old, so we'll, we'll forgive him. At a place where Ronnie Lott played. Now they're going to think about defense. To me, that was the first thing we thought about 25 years ago, and that ain't going to change. So the coordinator is going to have to come in and understand that. That's what he's saying. That you know they're going to play complimentary. They're not going to throw the ball all over the place. So I don't think he's going to hire Graham Harrell away from Purdue uh, to be his offensive coordinator. But what do you think and what do you make of Kirk Ferentz's comments taking some shots at Lincoln Riley and the Trojans? I'm going to take the shots just because. Iowa's offense took no shots last year, so they could <laughs> they could afford to take is what I'm saying. And I'm going to take the shots just because I want to see a pissed off Lincoln Riley. I like pissed off Lincoln Riley. Pissed off Lincoln Riley's fun, and you know you <laughs> leave a little more fire in the belly. So yeah, I'm going to take those shots. I think they're very interesting shots. It seems like he just wanted to take a shot at Lincoln Riley and USC. Just be just to make his point. He didn't really have to do that to, to make his point about the <laughs> offensive coordinator having to, you know, to, to do that. He didn't have to do that. Just like he went out of his way to do that. So I don't know why. Maybe it's a little bit of insecurity. Maybe they made a run at his defensive coordinator behind the scenes. I don't know. But I don't know. It just it came up a little bit insecure uh for Kirk as someone who has can't score, had just had to fire. Their offensive coordinator because their offensive coordinator the, slash their son. Yeah, because wasn't that the, in the contract that he had to get a certain number of points or something yeah. this season? Yeah. So that that whole thing, you know that 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 clown show of a, of an offense. But hey, they play great defense. They were able to win some games. So you know, hats off to them. But yeah, I'm gonna take the shots because I love when coaches take shots at each other. And does uh does Iowa play USC next season? Not next season, not till 2025. So he can take those shots because, yeah, he's been there 25 years. Maybe he's thinking about, I'm not even going to play them. Maybe I'm thinking about retirement (laughs) next year or something. And 
if that's the case, then I say take all the shots you want. If you're not going to end up playing anybody, um, it's kind of bush league. But I think it's even hilarious uh, doing that. So you know, we'll see when USC they play them at the Coliseum in 2025. So we'll see what happens then. You know, if USC puts up like 40 on them, you know, it, it'll be this, the you know Lincoln Riley's got to do something with at the handshake line, uh, similar to Herman Boone tossing the banana after the uh, the racist coach and remember the Titans. So, you know, Lincoln Riley's got to take his shot back if that's the case. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what what you can give him to represent. I think you, gotta go, you go Jim Harbaugh. Know. You go Jim Harbaugh, you're up 40 to 17 or whatever, and you go for two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I like that. I like that. I again, I'll take shots. I love shots. <laughs> not not an alcoholic sense. I hate those. But 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 jabs <laughs> from coaches. Yeah, I, I'm all about it. I'm all about it, Shackman. That is going to wrap up the show, but not before I get to what I've been waiting to do all Uh-oh. day when I found out we were podcast. Because I promised these listeners, our loyal listeners, I pleaded with them about our Helium Boys merch having hit and that no one had purchased one going into that show. And I told them, if you purchase a Helium Boys merch piece, T-shirt, crew neck, hoodie, whatever, I was going to shout you out at the end of the show. And Helium Boy Nation responded, Shotgun. We sold several pieces from listeners and Whoa. I'm very thankful. I got to count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten patrons bought at least one Helium Boy. Some of them bought multiple Whoa. things, like, like like a couple hoodies, a shirt, and a hoodie. So I promise that every time someone buys some something from you know Helium Boys related, I was going to shout them out, give them a compliment at the end of this show. So Shotgun, we're here. Are you ready for me to just shout out these fans? This is awesome. Thank you guys so much for wanting to see our faces on your apparel that you're going to wear. Yeah, this is a perfect uh, white elephant joke Christmas present as well. If you've got USC sure. fans, hey, we'll take we'll take purchases in any form or fashion. Hey, if you need to stock up for your April Fool's gifts, whatever, whatever it takes. Or if these are genuine gifts, that's great too. Uh, you know, thank you guys so much for participating that, and you know. Purchasing some of our items, theparasileshop.com is the, the web address if you want to go and check it out. If you have not checked it out to see the design, it is it is terrific. It is magnanimous. It is it's excellent. Us. It is us. It is. <laughs> it is us, and that is all I can say about it. So I'm going to run down these lists. I'm going to shout you out. I'm not going to dox anyone. I'm just going to say your first name. Uh, I'm just going to say your first name. But I'm going to give you a shout out on this podcast, and I'm going to give a very real fact about each of these people. I did not oh. make any of these up. These are very real facts. Um, I know that's coming with a lot a very, of uh, fake corporate sponsor fact. energy. A very real fact. Here is your address. We're not going to dox anyone. Here is your phone number. <laughs> yeah. Here's your social, and here are all their credit card information just to prove that they're real. Uh, first, I got to shout out Aaron who actually responded to us online that she had purchased. And Erin, fun fact about her, she's a literal angel. She's a literal angel because she (laughs) literally bought the first piece of Helium Boys merch ever. She will always be in the history of this podcast, have the first purchase of Helium Boys merch ever. So 
Aaron, congratulations. You have a very cute dog. So congratulations, Aaron. I just want to thank you for being the first one to get this thing rolling. I got to shout out Ryan, our next purchaser. You know, he was right there. Ryan, you just missed the cut to being the first purchase. I'm very sorry. But second also has a very big of uh, of uh, a uh, place in my heart and I'm always going to remember that as well. Uh fun Chris fact comes about in Ryan. second often. Yes, yes, that is exactly what it is. Ryan, fun fact about him, he is an amazing lover. Don't ask me how I know that. I just <laughs> I just do. I just do, Ryan. So, thank you so much for purchasing some Healing and Boys merch. I love it. Um Donald, shout out to the big D man, Donald, for purchasing some merch as well. Fun fact about him, he is an amazing parallel parker. He can just do it with such ease. You know, those some people that can just do it, look back once, bam, bam, bam. One of those guys doesn't even need a backup camera. He's old school. No backup camera. Me, if my backup camera is not working or I get a car that doesn't have one, I'm useless anymore. But Donald doesn't even need it. Next guy, George. George, thank you so much for buying some Helium Boys merch. We appreciate it. Uh, fun fact about George, this guy rocks at karaoke. Like, legitimately shuts it down. Like, anyone who's supposed to go after George just goes home. They, they don't want to follow this guy. He's a god at karaoke. Next purchase, Suzanne. Thank you so much for, for purchasing our stupid faces on your, your piece of clothing for you. Uh, Suzanne, I know, you know, I know she's cool, Shotgun, because it's Suzanne with a Z. And Z is hella cool. Zion Branch. Zachariah Branch, hella cool. The Z makes it hella cool. So, Suzanne, you are an amazingly cool person for I buying can, can, our merch. I can confirm that. Uh, I believe I know who the Suzanne is, and I confirm that she is amazingly cool. Well, there you go. Next person, Darren. I just got a, shout, a special shout-out to Darren for, one, buying a ton of merch from the shop, but also he sent me a personal email just to thank me for co-hosting some amazing shows so thank you so much for reaching out you know these are gifts for for people in his life because he bought about several pieces and just because this guy bought several pieces i know this guy drives a nice car i just know it that's <laughs> his fun fact get this guy on an nil plan for usc he's got the money i know it and speaking of nil we're going to the king of nil that's money bag money bags manford the legend stopped by to buy some merch for the helium boy shotgun i don't need to give any compliments to money bags he knows how big of a a person he is in the lives of my podcast especially two star and i expect to see him at the live show on wednesday i expect to see you but shout out to him for buying a gold shirt this man does not care what people think he's wearing a gold shirt with our faces on it shotgun that's how i know he means business he's going big i got a shout out for keith who bought not one but two hoodies, not both Helium Boys merch, but he bought one Helium Boys merch and a Cilantro Boys merch. Shout out to Keith. Fun fact about him. I know this guy recycles. I know it. He's saving the planet. This guy's a great guy. Keith, I love you. Thank you so much for, for rocking some merch. And I hope to see you. Yeah, I hope to see all of these people with our, our faces on their, on their chest with a hoodie or T-shirt or whatever. Our next purchase, our next shout out goes to Charlotte. First of all, shout out to the women who have bought Helium Boys merch. We have some women supporters. I love it, Shotgun. I love it. We are diverse in our fans and our, and our listeners, men and women. I know for a fact Charlotte is never late to anything. Never late. She's punctual all the time. And that means you're a great person. No disrespect to anyone who's late. That's fine. <laughs> but 
if you if you're on time to stuff, you're 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 an extra great person. So shout out to Charlotte. Thank you so much for the purchase. And then the last purchase that came in today, Giovanni. I met Giovanni several times. He's the homie. He checked in with me today, today, and just he just wanted to see if I was doing okay. He just DM'd me, like, are you doing okay? That that's so great because he said your energy has been kind of low on Twitter. I was like, I'm good. I'm just saving myself for Wednesday. <laughs> that that show's gonna drain me. I got some 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 things cooking up for that show. I'm very excited. Hope everyone can join uh on that live show with Gerard. But again, shout out to Giovanni for rounding out this group of 10 people, 10 legends that have purchased Helium Boys merch. And there's 10 people tracking on this planet. Well, actually more than that, because some people bought multiple things. But you get the point. There are multiple people on this planet who will be walking around with our faces on their bodies. I'll be honest. I can't wait to see the first one uh, in the wild. It's going to be a yes. magical moment. Yeah, I'm I'm so ready for it. And I usually don't like taking pictures, but I always take a picture if you ask as a fan. But I can't wait to for someone to be taking a photo with us, wearing us on their face i can't i'm so excited i i just, I just i'm just so excited check it we'll see we'll see when that is whether it's spring game if we have a meetup sometime before then if there's a basketball game who knows we'll see well that's gonna wrap it up again thank you to all the people that purchased helium boys merch if you want to the parastyleshop.com that's where you get it look it up i think it's pretty cool so again thank you shotgun for doing this podcast thank you for limiting the questions and helping me out we both got to write a bunch of stories right now. Yeah. Got some work to do still. So uh, we were going to have to get, get to that. But thank everyone for listening. Everyone for liking, reviewing, subscribing, all those things, especially our 10 people that uh, are first purchasers of the Helium Boys podcast merchandise. Chris, is this a continuing event? Are you going to be shouting out everyone going forward? Oh, absolutely. I said until this podcast dies or I die, whatever happens first, I'm going to be shouting out everyone who purchases Helium Boys merch. So if three people buy by the next time we do another podcast, I'm going to shout out those three people and give very real compliments and facts about these people. That's what I'm doing, Shotgun. If 100 <laughs> people do it, I'm going to do it. If one person does it, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter. I promise. I'm always going to shout out who buys a piece of Helium Boys merch every show. That's my pledge. That's my promise. Take that to the bank. So make sure you get your shout out by going and getting some Healing Boys per, uh, some merch. We really appreciate you guys supporting us and supporting by listening as well. Chris, anything left? I mean, obviously, I'm I'm sure ten more people have entered the portal and seven people have committed <laughs> since we started this podcast. So I don't know. It's probably not it, but for right now, it is it. All right, then get back to work. We got too much stuff to do because signing day is coming up. We got to get these podcasts up. And there's plenty of content we still have. So make sure you guys are locked in to uscfootball.com. The peristyle is just popping off with people chattering back and forth about who could enter the portal. You know, the fact that Bear Alexander apparently did a uh, some kind of live Instagram live or something with Michael Williams and uh, Christian Miller tonight. So everyone. Michael uh, Williams and them are in the other room shotgun. He is in Michael Williams house right now. That's where he's doing the podcast. I told you at the top of the show, he's lying to you. He's not there for basketball. He's there for Michael Williams. I told you. I check in on my Georgia boys, you know, see how they're doing and whatnot, Chris, but 
Well, that's going to wrap it up for the show, Chris. Thanks so much for hosting. I will take care of the wrap-up here. We appreciate you all for listening and for subscribing and doing all those things as well as purchase, purchasing merchandise. We hope that you will be back for the next episode of the Helium Boys podcast. <laughs>